I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. Today, I've got the complete 1982 totally wired interview with Vangelis. A true god of electronic music, Vangelis ascended the heavens at age 70 on May 17, 2022. Although his glory days were in the 1970s and 80s, he was just coming back into form with albums like Rosetta and Juno to Jupiter. Vangelis is an artist better known by his work than his name. Mention the Greek synthesis to the general public, and you'll likely get a quizzical stare. Remind them that he scored Chariots of Fire, his Academy Award-winning score from 1982, and their eyes will light up in recognition. My first of two interviews with Vangelis was in 1982 at his Nemo Studios in London. It was for the radio series Totally Wired. It was only days after he'd won the Academy Award, and he was just putting the finishing touches on Blade Runner. That interview, complete, is coming up. Do you have the Echoes app yet? It's free, and it's not only the best way to hear the Echoes podcast, but it's the best way to hear Echoes online, our streaming subscription service where Echoes programs are available 24-7 on demand. That way, you can enter the chilled Echoes mood whenever you want. There's also exclusive online-only streams and Echoes shows without the talking, just the music. Just get the free Echoes app on your cell phone, and you can take Echoes with you pretty much anywhere you can get a signal. Go to echoes.org to find out more about Echoes Online and download the app at your usual app stores. Echoes is everywhere. Now let's get back to 1982 in Nemo Studios in London. This interview ran in Polyphony Magazine in 1983, and this was part of my introduction. Vangelis was a garrulous man whose physical presence was as massive as his music. Even in his own Nemo Studios where he was working, he was dressed in suit coat and tie and looking slightly uncomfortable as his body tried to burst out of it. He smoked one of those thick, stogie-type cigars that carnival barkers usually stick in their mouths. Though he was a pop star in his early days with Formanex in Greece and Aphrodite's Child in France, he took pleasure in eschewing that image. He was trying to be the common cosmic man. He emerged to me as a pretty warm and thoughtful artist who really just wanted to make music. We talked about his life, music, and chariots of fire. Blade Runner wasn't out yet, so that's about where the timeline of the conversation ends. Where was born, yeah. Uh, if I tell you the name of the town, you, I don't think you know, but I mean, I can, maybe I mention something. You know about Greek mythology, though? Mm-hmm. Do you know Jason and the Argonauts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the town. That's the same town from Jason. And uh, I was born there, but uh, always, I grew up in Athens. And uh, then I moved uh, to Paris and then London. And here we are now. When were you born? Oh, that's a good question. I always say 3,000 years ago. <laughs> Which is true, actually. Yeah. How is that true? How is that true? Why is it not true? Why would you trace your uh, your huh? birth back 3,000 years? Well, more than that, but as long as I remember, it's about 3,000 years. Yeah. So when did you first start playing music? Uh, 
as long as I remember, at the age of four. And uh, it was something natural, completely natural. What do you remember playing first? Uh, I remember playing the piano and uh, whatever I could find in the kitchen. Anything that could, could produce noise. I was really fascinating. Were you trying to play tunes or were you just trying to play things yeah. that sounded good? I, <laughs> I played tunes and especially my own tunes. And also I, I used to open this big grand piano we used to have at home. And I used to pull the strings and, and, and uh, you know, create incredible noises, sounds. Out of, and I drive my mother crazy because she thought I'm going to break the piano, but I never did because I've done all that with great respect. I never banged the piano, actually. I always try to, to create more sounds, but not in order to, you know, to destroy it. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I was not 100% satisfied but with one sound, the conventional piano sound. And at the time, I, I didn't have synthesizers. So I always uh, felt that something more than the conventional thing. And uh, that's why I tried my only way to, to find out was to, to go inside the piano. And then, of course, when I had the synthesizers, the, you know, mm-hmm. everything changed. So when was your first, did you have any formal musical training? No, they tried, my parents tried desperately to push me uh, for any, you know, musical lessons and things like that, but they failed completely. Uh, to me, it was impossible to sit down and learn because I found that there are things that you can never learn the same way there are things that uh, you can never teach. Uh, and I never felt that I would like to become a, a musician, like, like a, you know, like a symphony orchestra musician, which is a mainly a very fine and great computer that can interpret any piece of music. Uh, to me, music was a completely different matter. And then I found completely irrelevant, I mean, uh, and not useful at all to, to, to learn. And I couldn't learn because to me it was absurd, really absurd. I don't know. I, was the classical musician your, the only role model available to you at the time in Greece as something to... Of course, classic music always been around and... Uh, also, ethnic music, a lot of ethnic music, which is really an incredible uh, source of inspiration and uh, really a very powerful battery. And uh, uh, jazz music as well. I remember 12 years old, I could play any, any jazz tune and improvise and all that. Because I found, I mean, I always believe that jazz is one of the greatest uh, music, uh, let's say, um, a language. Maybe the greatest thing that uh, United States produced ever. 
and uh, who were you yeah. listening to? Do you remember? Oh, everybody, everybody you can mention. I don't know if I start, I start mention names. <laughs> sure, mention a few names. Charlie Parker, Thelonious Monk, uh, Errol Garner, Oscar Peterson, Ella, you know, everybody. Mm-hmm. Count Basie. Uh, you can go forever and mention names. So when did you first start going out and playing music in front of people? Well, first time I remember myself sitting in the piano and having in front of me 2,000 or 1,000 people. I can't remember. I couldn't count them at the time. But in a theater, uh, I think I was six Something like that. Was it a recital? Yeah, but I, I play my own tunes because I, I couldn't. I could, when you were six, I couldn't learn anything else. Yes, <laughs> I couldn't play anything else. I could improvise. Yes, but I mean, and especially at that time, I, I remember, and I always do it since now. When I, when I give a concert, I, I never know what I, what I'm going to play. So everything is. I, I compose the moment of the concert and the same thing I've done when I was six since then I do I do exactly the same thing so how was how did you come from that point to Aphrodite's child oh that was a very uh, normal teenager movement as a, as a teenager I felt that this quite fun if I can play with some friends and especially when we create this group with some other people from the university because I was the youngest I used to go to school and from, with some other people we formed this uh, group mainly to, to be able to play jazz and uh, and we play not only jazz and many other things and it was a bas- basic uh, uh, basically uh, an amateur group we never thought we were going to to become professionals and we're going to make money out of that but finally enough um, we became so famous in Greece and so so important as a group then uh, is the first time that uh, I play in front of 10,000 people in stadiums and uh, I felt this uh, hysterical success, you know what I mean, the, this kind of uh, people screaming and having, uh, I don't know, bodyguards and police to protect and all that, I mean all that usual. But that was my first uh, experience of huge success and I think I'm very lucky because I had this experience too early, so I soon find out what's all about then uh, to me it worked like a vaccination so uh, it helped that was a great help for for later for what I'm doing now was there much early music of that type in Greece was there much music along those lines happening or was Aphrodite's child pretty mm. unusual at the time not much not much, really. So there are other things going on similar to Aphrodite's child? Yeah, but I mean, uh, not really a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I left, although I, I love my country, I couldn't live there, I couldn't stay. 
It's a great source of things, but you can't develop whatever you want to do. Why is that? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe because uh, at that time, music was not the, the, the biggest priority in Greece. Um, and um, I found easier in Europe when I, I mean, when I moved to Paris and then to London. It's a politically tumultuous country, isn't it? Yeah, that that's as well something. I mean, at the time, quite uncomfortable. So the six 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 album was, was oh, yeah. pretty interesting. Work. Yeah, that was the last of the Aphrodite Child one, and uh, actually, to me, always I tried to to create that album like a first album of Aphrodite Child, but I couldn't because um, we had to go through this usual uh, hit parade business to prove that we can be commercial, we can sell, and to make it easy with record companies. Uh, because anyway, Aphrodite Child for me was a vehicle to be able to 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 break through this, this business and to have my own studio later and all that. I didn't create that group to become famous just for for uh, ego trip matters or whatever. And uh, this is the reason why we've done six 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 in the end. Although I didn't know it's going to be the end, but it was the end because that album created uh, an incredible panic. What are they doing? Why are they doing this? A double album. The moment that we used to be number one in the charts all the time. This album is not a, a single. This is not a easy chart album and uh, of course to me it was not an, another alternative just to break and to do whatever I like because I had enough of three years of number ones and uh, going after you know the charts I mean like let's say like a like a target I don't I don't say that this is nothing wrong to be in the charts mm -hmm. but what is wrong is to to try to achieve that and to think I'm going to do this to be in the charts that's wrong so the 666 album was a way of breaking away from this at the time yeah of course yeah how did you arrive at a piece um, like a infinite infinity <laughs> <laughs> yeah quite accidental actually <laughs> yeah it happened just like that I mean, most most of the things that I do, I do it uh, in a very spontaneous way. So um, I never think before. Maybe consciously, I never think before. It's always there, but uh, I don't want to prepare myself because then I lose the surprise and and it's not fresh anymore. This is the way I work. Some other people they do it in a different way. I don't. Know. Was Irene Pappas's vocal improvised? Yes. 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 It's a very climactic piece. Oh yeah, <laughs> she, came, she came one afternoon to the studio and said, "Hello, how are you? What are you doing? We're doing this and that." And say, "Yeah," and then we talked a little bit, and then uh, we had this text uh, from the New Testament, which is uh, "Was I am I am to come?" Because I mean, the six 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 album is from the uh, Saint John Apocalypse, and then she improvised with those words, and I played the percussions. It wasn't just you know just a real happening. Mm -hmm. Were you just playing percussion, piano, and organ at the time, I guess? 
at that time? At that time. Oh yes, whatever I could find available. So then the first solo album was Earth. Yeah. Right. And that that was had a lot of um ethnic elements in it. Mm -hmm. Greek ethnic yes, elements. Yes. So you find that to be a significant influence on your music? Oh yes, I mean uh, much earlier uh, I always felt that it's it's good to to release an album like this, but as I said, we had this incredible uh, difficulty uh, to match uh, my point of view uh, and uh, record company's point of view. And at the beginning, it was very difficult. Now I don't have the problem anymore. By that time, yeah. Uh -huh. um, a lot of your, your electronics are involved with imitating other instruments. I'm thinking particularly of, of the Heaven and Hell album. With mm, those yeah. Giant orchestral sounds and mm. trumpets and everything. Actually, when I've done Heaven and Hell, uh, is the, the period that I had the less, uh, the minimum collection of electronic instruments at that time. Maybe I did it with one or maximum two very simple synthesizers. Really, the basic ones, uh, because uh, it was at seventy end of seventy four uh, when I moved to London. So I remember this studio there was uh, in the middle of. I mean, I was in the middle of chaos, really. Builders and concrete around there, and I couldn't find anything, and and I had to to deliver this album, uh, and then I did it in, in an incredible. uncomfortable situation. Uh, but I mean, I try to produce this, this orchestral big sound, but I mean, I don't do all the, all the time this, it depends. Mm -hmm. When did you first start playing synthesizers? Um, as soon as I find one, I was uh, uh, 70, early 70s. What attracted you to it? Sorry? What attracted you to it? Oh, uh, that was my always my basic need for years and years and years to be able to to to, to find an instrument that can give me an extension of uh, sound, and the only solution to me is a synthesizer. Mm -hmm. But of course, at the time, uh, the first synthesizer had never been. Uh, as flexible as the, the synthesizers that we have now. Now we have real instruments. At the time we had uh, uh, very basic instruments. Today, uh, to play the right way synthesizer, you, you need the same technique as you need to play a violin or a trumpet or a flute or any any conventional instrument. So um, th that is due to the touch response, of course, because the keyboard it's so sensitive, and really you can put a lot of feeling. And uh, a few years ago you couldn't. So to me now it's really a complete. It's quite extraordinary because the life of a synthesizer, of synthesizers that we know it's about maybe ten or twelve years. Okay, now the piano, which is maybe the most known instrument 
one of the most known instruments, it took 200 years to build. And it's extraordinary that in, let's say, 10 years' time, they build synthesizers that really we, we can consider them like really fine instruments. Do you bring a strictly keyboard approach to your synthesizer playing? Yeah, yeah. Because the way that you can drive, you can play the instrument. Mm -hmm. I don't. I'm not very keen to program a lot of things because then I don't have fun to play. See. Then, because of the human element, it's very very important. I love technology. To serve me, but I don't want to serve technology. So, do you find the interface? between you and your synthesizers taking place on the actual keyboard? Exactly, yeah. I always believe that human being is the best synthesizer ever, for the moment. Mm -hmm. So, machine is always second. What was the first uh, synthesizer you played, do you remember? Oh yes, it was a very, very small, basic Korg one. But I, uh, I still have it, and it's quite fun, really. It's beautiful. So, getting back to that, question I had about, about heaven and hell. Um, a lot of people see the synthesizer as a means of going beyond conventional instruments, mm. yet you often use it to imitate. Or oh, you can do both. You never can really imitate, uh -huh. because even if you try to have a, a symphony orchestra sound, the same thing if you play with symphony orchestra sounds completely different. It's... Uh, <coughs> Uh, it's like a memory of what we know. It's not the real thing. But I mean, it doesn't matter. What matters is if you you can have a communication and you you have the, you can pass the message through. Doesn't matter if it sounds like a violin or not. This is completely irrelevant. If you need a violin, you take a violin. But now you have a memory of a violin. That's a different thing altogether. But we're getting to the point where, I mean, sound mm. is essentially waveforms. Exactly. Synthesizers generate waveforms. Mm. So are we getting to a point where conventional instruments won't be around anymore? I don't believe that. I think conventional instruments are always going to be around because it's a tool that uh, uh, helps a human being to, to, exp to express himself. So when you have a flute that has been around for years and centuries and thousands of years, okay? And it's still there, that means that there's a reason. And I don't think any synthesizer in the world can take the flute out of, of uh, you know, of business or whatever. Not, not as a musician, uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a machine, because the flute is a machine as well. It's something that has been built to produce a sound. A violin is the same thing. But... Uh, Always when you play the flute, you have the flute sound. The only thing that you can change is your personal feeling, because nobody plays the same flute. You take ten flute players to play ten uh, different ways. And this is the, the, the fantastic thing about that. So more, especially in, in oriental music, the interpretation and the feel that you put is very, very important. So it's a completely different approach. But when you go to sound and you, when you want to extend that, then you need something more. So it's actually synthesizers that can bring uh, an addition to what is 
to what exists until now. But not to to say to they're not here to wipe all the conventional instruments. Both to me they're machines. And electronic or acoustic doesn't matter. Because maybe with a violin you have to you have the bow and and you have the string that, that uh, uh, produce the sound. It's irrelevant because I mean, uh, uh, with a synthesizer, you, you need electricity power to do the same thing. So what? I mean, it's it's not it's not because some people they say, oh yes, that's electronic. It's not it's not real. Everything is real. I mean, the whole system, the the, the cosmic system is like that. It's energy. It's power. I mean, the human being is full of energy, full of electricity. There's nothing wrong with that. It seems like the advent of synthesizers, especially now with the new, the computerized mm. synthesizer coming out, that I mean, people. The old argument used to be that you know you couldn't really get feeling out of electronic instruments. You, know, you couldn't. I don't get believe that. I know, obviously. <laughs> I don't. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. But, but now, is it is an excuse? Actually, it's as I said before, the human being is the master of that situation. And if you have a feeling, I don't know, no matter what happens, you always, you find a way to put your feeling, uh, to, to get your feeling through. Now, if you don't have a feeling, you don't. And you don't need, Let, let's take the example of percussions, okay? Some people think percussions is just noise. To me, percussion is one of the most finest uh, ensemble of instruments that can human being ever produce. Now, if we take a a simple conga drum, conga drum uh, you can have somebody that starts, you know, banging, and sounds awful. And if somebody with feel, African people, Cuban people, they play so. I mean, they are so incredible. So this the same one or two tone instrument. It becomes really so fantastic and so rich when when they, they start really play. Then this rigid thing that you have one simple sound become huge. So I don't believe with synthesizers that uh, uh, they don't have feel and all that. that. That's a lot of rubbish, really. What I was going to say was that now with, with these new 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 machines, mm. new synthesizers, I think it's becoming more apparent that that music is developed up here. Mm. It's developed in the mind, mm. and it's kind of eliminating the need to have manual dexterity mm. in order to create mm. really incredible music. Mm. So I think that it's altering the way people think about music. Mm. Eliminating their need to see flashy technique mm. as translating to good music. Do you think that, that that's that's an accurate assessment? I think music is a reflection, and uh, if um, people they become intellectual, just intellectuals, then that reflects to not only to music but to, to the everyday life. And we live in a very intellectual society anyway. That's why we suffer, and that's why we 
becomes schizophrenic because it's, it's too much of logic, too much of uh, point of reference, and too much of fear. Nobody dares to, to feel something. That's why actually music for the last 30 years it became so important because it was the, the, maybe the, the last uh, source of communication between people. Um, because, I mean, most of the things, the important things are lost. And uh, as our civilization is based in, in logic and in squareness and absurdity, then uh, as human beings part of that society, maybe if we create music, we create a, a very sterile music. But if if we are, let's say, human beings, that we can keep a, a, a balance between the intellect and the feeling, and we use the intellect to to analyze after we've done something, why we did it, and how we did it, and not to create what we're going to do, then we maybe we can come up with, with a piece of music or any kind of expression which really makes sense, and then somebody else can understand. I don't think if we our attempt is intellectual, we can have a dialogue. It's impossible. Of course, uh, you have uh, very underground intellectual attempts for contemporary music, ballet, things like that. Nobody understands. Nobody. Everybody finds fantastic, but this is quite a great snobism. I don't think I was talking, when I said it was made up here, I don't think I meant just intellectual music. I meant, but you think about the music. The music is created in your mind. Yeah. Right? You think about what you're going to play, and then you translate that. Yeah. Into no, your... I don't think, actually. You can't think. Uh, I always believe that when I say my, my music, it's not mine. It's there. It's before me, and it's after me. I'm somewhere in the middle. And what happened? It's like, I'm like... Uh, a wire, and uh, like a bridge between something. <laughs> and uh, what I do is just to to help this existing thing come true, so we can hear it. Of course, it comes through a personal filter, which sometimes it doesn't come even through that personal filter. I, I, I try to eliminate that personal experience and to, to, to keep music as pure as possible. Uh, but it's very difficult. Because if it comes through me, of course, it comes through this, as we said, filter. But um, <clears throat> so music is it's very important. It's really... I never see music as, as, a, as an entertainment could be an entertainment, but that is a very small percentage of the whole spectrum of music. And uh, the way that we we use music today, it's uh, it's quite. Uh, I said um, it's very little, although it's very important. I think still. We we use music in a very narrow spectrum for the moment. Anyway, I hope for the future people are going to use music in different areas. 
What areas would you like to see them use it in? Science. How would they use it in science? Oh, they will. They will, because music contains all the... It's like a code. It, contain, it contains all the secrets. What we we call secret things that we don't understand. And in, until now we use a lot of philosophy to understand certain things. And music is there. It's like a witnessing. A we, how we say that? We, it's like a witness mm -hmm. uh, to the, the whole creation. Stockhausen has said that, that music is already in the air and all a musician does is tune it in. Oh, that's a good phrase, yes. Yeah. You said um, music passes through uh, your own personal filter. Yeah. But uh, but you try and avoid that. Yeah. W w on what piece of music do you think you've most successfully avoided that? I don't know. There are moments. It's not one piece. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, I have a lot of music I never released. Because if you take all my albums one by one, then you see that they're, they're just details of the whole uh, yes, they are details of the whole uh, situation, you know whatever I've done until now. I, <coughs> every, every day I, I, I compose music in a different uh, area, different kind, different kinds of music. But of course, I can't release everything that I compose is impossible. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, to be able to explain that, we have to go through tapes, and I can explain to you this is how the, this is what I feel there, what I've done it, and what happened, and why, and all that. But it's difficult, you know, to explain that. On a lot of your albums, and, and especially on the album Boborg. Mm. You seem very concerned with the placement of sound across uh, a spatial spectrum. Yeah, but that's again is one way. If I do Bobo today, maybe it won't be the same. Because when you do something, you do it the moment that you do it. Uh, you feel like this. Actually, Bobo is a kind of interpretation of something. You know, I've been to that place and I felt like this, like this record. Okay, I mean, a year later maybe I can feel different, then I can do another book. Like China, for example, when I've done China album, I felt like this. Maybe I can do ten albums with China. Doesn't mean that whatever I have to say about Bubura or China, all my albums, is exactly that. It's a statement, it's a statement nothing else. It's just one moment. That's all it is. But I think what, what, I, what I meant was, a lot of people see music as coming from a specific sound source, mm. you know, coming and coming directly out. You know, be it a speaker, a mm. trumpet bell, whatever. Mm. But Boborg, and and most of your work, but Boborg in particular, because mm. the music itself is a bit mm. more abstract, mm. is concerned with you know, not only the construction of music, mm. but the construction of music over a mm. spatial spectrum. Mm. Of course, with the, with the technology that we have today, and uh, now we, it's, a, it's a new way, 
of recording that you can you can develop the same kind of recording as uh, recording as you develop with autograms three dimensional and of course it's an extraordinary way so you have you feel that you are in a globe and uh, it's better than quantrophonic everything is it's it's there you can you know immediately the position the position of every every sound where it's come from that's extraordinary but at that time when i've done bubur i use only the stereo and also quadraphonic i mean i love to use quadraphonic but you can't because people they can't don't they're not equipped with quadraphonic systems so it's very difficult because of course the best way to listen to music is quadraphonic or this new way but but there's nothing available like that few people they can they can listen properly for that kind of music do you feel at this point that technology is uh has caught up with your own ideas or do you feel it still has a way to go no technology no technology is fine it's always marketing business and all that because whatever you do costs money and people that they put the money they they want to play to play very safe and uh, there are huge interests that they don't allow technology to be available all the time it's a different game altogether but just technology is fine it's doing very well so you don't see where synthesizers, electronics can be improved even more to fulfill oh, perhaps can, your own conception. Oh, they can be, they can be better. But again, it's a, it's a business point of view again. With synthesizers, every year they give you a little bit more. So in order to buy more, because they have to survive. But as I said, now. Synthesizers are, are quite extraordinary. So I don't see any excuse for people to say that uh, no, those instruments they are very, you know, cold or whatever. I mean, I don't believe that. That's really excuses. When was the last time you played in a live situation? Oh, live situation. Uh, my last concert was at the festival hall. In London. That's about maybe two or three years ago. I can't remember. I don't play very often. Right. I <laughs> know that. I was yeah. going to get to. <laughs> yeah, you want to get to that? Right. And why and all that? Uh -huh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Because to me, I'll tell you why I don't perform live. It's not so easy. It's, it's, it's a great hassle. To do that, and to me, a live concert is a is a very fine situation. And uh, when you decide, let's say when I, I decide to give a concert, I go through a lot of problems with publicity, with interest, with uh, um, money involved for the sound and things like that. And the whole, this simple appointment with people, just to get together, become a, just a monster of problems and interests that is not spontaneous anymore. 
and uh, he loses his really interest because I'm sure that you've been to a lot of concerts, and you, I'm sure that you see that backstage the situation is completely different. So I don't like that really, and um, I I can't see how I can. I can have a spontaneous concert. It's, it's another thing as well, that if I decide to give a concert somewhere, let's say in New York, the booking must be done a few months or maybe a year or, or six months in advance. So this is against my, not principles, but against the way that I live, because I can't really program myself to be at that time, at that day, there. Because maybe I won't feel like that. And uh, if I sign a contract like this, I feel in prison. I don't like to commit myself, uh, you know, for for that kind of uh, uh, how can I explain uh, for six months or a year ahead. Now, if I use uh, concerts or touring as a source of money, and this is my business, then I have to do that, because this is my job. But this, that is not my job, and my job is not to have a job. And to be able to live as free as possible, and to create as freely as possible I can't, then it's against my, my way of thinking and, and feel. So this is one of the main reasons that I don't give many concerts, although I love to perform live. And I'm very happy when I'm in front of people. And and I'm very happy to go up there and, and not be prepared, and uh, not to know what I'm going to play, and not to be sure if I'm going to have a success. Because it's another thing, when you, have, when you are successful, you have a successful album, you're under charge, you can't fail, you must have a, a successful concert. Because the people that tune for this, the publicity is done for that, and to me, it's it's really uh, how can I explain? Is a very very fake situation. A concert is question and answer, and I don't see the reason why the people they have to applaud. They are there. Maybe it's a question. Maybe, I don't know, it's a happening, you, you never know. And this is the real concert. Now, if you, you know in advance that there's no way that you can lose, and you, you use all those cliches and uh, shortcuts and, and uh, clever movements to create success and to create applause, then maybe I have a successful concert but I won't be able to fulfill myself because I steal it. Now, of course, many people they won't uh, agree with me, but I mean, this is this is the way I feel. What about the technical feasibility of performing your music live? Oh, that's no problem, no problem at all. I never had problems, although I need a lot of preparation. And of course, with the new technology, less preparation because, you know, it's there are things, there are easier ways to approach this problem. And sometimes I achieve better sound live than 
on records, because live you have really a big spectrum. You have quadraphonic to, to, to start with, that you can have in a record easily. So many times I, I felt more satisfied. And also sometimes when I play with a symphony orchestra, that's another, another pleasure because it's really quite fun to do that. When was the last time you did that? I did that in Brussels, I think, four years ago. It was an extraordinary experience. But again, we had to to do that in advance, to organize, and the hassle, and all that. And really, I mean, oh. Did they play in your compositions? Yes, I played the China album. Uh -huh. So did you look at that as playing, playing with a, a live symphony orchestra, as sort of just playing uh, human synthesizers in a way? What do you mean? Um, well, I mean, you have a very orchestral sound, obviously, with your mm. own synthesizers. Yeah. yeah. And now you're going to these other people, and they were playing mm. your music, which would normally, they were playing the lines and mm. that would normally be synthesized, right? Mm. But it was a great experience to do that. To me, it was just an experience. It was a great success, of course. But the point was to, to try something. That, that's the most important when you do things like this. Even the people that are part of the whole thing. You can't, I mean, people, they're not there to be convinced of your success. A, a conscience is not an ego trip. A conscience is a very uh, simple understanding between the performer and the public. This is how, how I see it. And of course, it doesn't turn up like that because of, of so many years of uh, business and interest and all that. I was wondering what it was like to have other people play music that you usually play yourself. Yeah, I, maybe it's great. Sometimes <laughs> I wish to be able to be with the public at the same time, you know, I could, how can I explain? I don't mind, let's say I, I, I write a piece of music so some other people can play this piece of music and I can be with the public. I don't mind being up there. It's, it's great to be up there. But I'm not crazy to... to <laughs> you know, to, to, to book maybe 30 dates and uh, change towns every day, like, you know, they usually do rock groups and things like that. And... Uh, go up there and fill the people with my ego and myself with my how beautiful I am and how much success and everybody light matches and scream at me and uh, and all that which is okay uh, but I don't know I'm not in that trip well Chariots of Fire is uh, number one now I understand all over the place that's what I find out today yeah but it's not the uh, certainly not the first soundtrack you've ever done and uh, I was wondering... It's the first major one, but I've done, you've done uh, more things, yeah. yes, before. How did you get involved with it, and how do, how do you approach that as maybe being different from your music that comes out just under your own name? That is because, uh, as I like to, to, to change all the time and not to do the same thing, maybe it was a moment that I felt that is... It's quite nice if you can, if I can do some, write some music for for a film, 
it's time to do an another album. And it was just a coincidence, it's maybe the right timing, I don't know what happened. And uh, when the producer and the director asked me to write this music, I, of course, providing that I like the film, then I liked the film and I decided to do it. It's, it was quite simple. Of course, when I've done that, I never felt it's going to be number one. I never felt I'm going to have the Oscar or, you know, that was completely out. You know, nothing. I couldn't possibly think about those things. And of course, it's very fulfilling today. And then we do some other things tomorrow. I don't know. I mean, it's. Do you, on, on all the soundtracks you've done with La Fée Sauvage, mm. uh, can you hear the dogs barking? Yeah. Right, which yeah. that was re reissued as Ignacio. Yeah. And uh, I think there was, well, Boborg was this. No, it was not the soundtrack. No, it was uh, Apocalypse Anymore uh -huh. and uh, Opera Sauvage as well. That was uh, serials for, for television. Do you compose the music to fit the images as, as, yeah, as you you're seeing them? Yes. Yes, it's the only, actually, it's the only moment that, that uh, I have to to think of something else. Mm -hmm. It's another element. So I have to respect the length. But uh, always I, I work the same way. I watch the film and I uh, instantly I, I play the piece of music that I feel that suits the, the images. So this is kind of an, an interpretive thing on your part as opposed to, say, your own music, mm. which is self-generated, I guess. Yeah, yeah. What about when you did something like China, which yeah. was different in certain regards in a lot of things you've done mm. in that, I mean, you've used Greek folk elements very extensively mm. in your music, but here you were going to an alien culture, I guess. Yeah, it is and it isn't. Uh, you see, I always felt very close to, to Chinese music since I was a child. I don't know why, maybe because uh, one, one area in Greece, uh, central Greece, I think, very mountain play, mountain. Uh, if you hear the music there, and the Chinese music, they have very common points. And I don't know <laughs> why. Ethnic music, of course, all ethnic music, they have common, common points. But somehow I felt very attracted by Chinese music. And I always want to do something like that. And one day I say, why not? I feel like like this, I do it. And and I write this album. Uh, and I feel that, uh, I don't know, I mean, I, I, I never try to, to create a Chinese uh, folk music. I'm not Chinese. But it's not the purpose to do Chinese music. I mean, I've done something that I felt, which has, has this kind of characteristic um, color of Chinese music. It could be Greek music, could be whatever. But I mean, this mixture produced that album. It was very, very gentle and, and delicate music, as mm. opposed to, say, Heaven and Hell, which is very, mm. real, very dynamic. Heaven and Hell is European music, more European music. Another thing, I, would you say that, that Asian music sort of lends itself to the synthesizer and that the synthesizer has the ability to 
go beyond the diatonic scale? Oh, yes, absolutely. Not before, but now. Oh, yes. And I know because I play oriental music. And uh, as I play the synthesizer, I can do that. Uh, much more than I have in my albums. But sometimes when I, just for, for myself, when I play, I find out that I can do, I can have exactly the same flexibility as a sitar or a flute or any other oriental instrument. It's a, it's a different technique altogether. You see, you, you take a violin, which is a, a conventional instrument, different way the uh, Egyptians, they, they play a different way. Indians, they play a different way. Greeks, they play a different way. Um, gypsies, they play a different way. Uh, even you play jazz with violin, okay? Now, it's the same instrument. It's a different feel, it's a different technique every time. And today, with the touch response synthesizers, uh, if you know how to use the technique, you can produce the same result. Egeverus, once when he was thinking about synthesizers, before there were synthesizers, he, mm. he thought that they would be the instrument to uh, liberate sound. Do you, th you think that they've done that? As long as the human being is free, yes. Do you think that your music has gone beyond the confines of uh, of what was available previously? I don't know. It's, it's up to you to say that. <laughs> It's not my, I can't answer to this. You have to answer that. And let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm thinking of this kind of getting back to the, uh, the imitative synthesis that, I was, that I was, we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And the fact that, that you use a synthesizer oftentimes to approximate the sound mm -hmm. or imitate or mm -hmm. get, actually get the sound of, uh, of conventional instruments. Yeah. Whereas a synthesizer has a capability to go beyond those instruments in many mm. regards. Do you think uh, the synthesizer can sometimes play things perhaps more perfectly than a human being? Um, in terms of speed, yes. Because you see, a human being is a machine as well. And you have ten fingers if you play the piano, and four fingers if you play the violin. And um, you have to go with certain speed. And you have certain facilities and difficulties. Now, with synthesizers, especially the one that you can program, you can uh, alter the speed and the mechanical parts. And um, also, by changing the sound and by programming the changement of the sound, you can achieve things that really a human being can't produce. But again, it's always, when I say the human being can't produce, uh, the hands they can produce, the mind produce. I mean, when I think about a symphony, let's say we take uh, a symphony orchestra, and uh, Supposing we, I have to write a piece of music which is half an hour long or one hour long, 
I can think this piece of music in an hour's time. In my brain. So I've done it. Now, it doesn't matter if valid, good or bad, doesn't exist, those kind of things. But mechanically, my brain did it. Now, to put that in practice, maybe I need a year or six months. Because I have to write this piece and I have to rehearse this piece and all that. But I believe that the real composition in the mind takes place exactly the same moment and lasts as, as long as it's going to last. And it happens many times to me. So I have many symphonies that they're lost like this, but it doesn't matter. Why not? So the human being is able to think. The greatest machine is maybe to, to have a kind of uh, plug that you put in your brain or something like that, and you have immediately the recording, the result, with a loudspeaker. But of course this wonder doesn't exist, or is maybe very dangerous. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Pro probably dangerous. Why would it be I, dangerous? Because I think that human beings, we are uh, very unbalanced beings. And uh, I don't know. I don't want to go <laughs> through that now. <laughs> you think it might be pretty nasty, some of the things that would come out? Not nasty, but... Uh, not very nice. Well, especially is the, the point that always we split between we are split between the social values and uh, the real um, natural values, and we have this incredible fight between those two things because the half uh, it's real and um, it's. Um, natural, and the other half is things, intellectual things, and and values that they we create through all those centuries to um, uh, to serve uh, certain interests, and we do every century we program uh, deprogram ourselves according to different values. That's why we have revolutions. And we create heroes, and then we mess it again. And we have another revolution, we create other heroes. And uh, all these important, I mean, uh, important revolutions, also they are, they are um, uh, an example of how stupid we are. Because always we go with point of reference. I mean, one century they say, you shouldn't do that. And next century they say, oh, you should do that. And then somebody else comes and says, no, you shouldn't. And you should, you shouldn't, you should. And for all those years, people are going crazy. Do you feel that um, your music has a, a spiritual power? As I said before, it's not my music, but of course music has maybe the most spiritual power. Because it's the closest things to nature. 
And I don't say that because I'm a musician, because I don't feel as a musician. And uh, if I I'm and I spend all my time with music, it's because I can't find something else better to do. But if tomorrow I discover something which is more important than music, I won't do music anymore. But for the moment I'm convinced that is the most the closest thing to nature is nature. A lot of electronic music, especially uh, towards the mid-70s, was involved with sort of a futurist approach and a lot of space technology type things. Mm -hmm. And you were kind of getting involved with that a little bit with uh, Albedo, mm -hmm. 0.39 at the time. Yeah. Could you describe that, you know, that involvement? That's, again, it's one of my let's say, my interests. But of course it's a little bit dodgy when you go to space and things like that because of synthesizers. Uh, uh, we create a fashion, I say, uh, electronic music in space. And although it's it's true that, I mean, with uh, with uh, electronic instruments, you can, re uh, you can have more... Um, you can go maybe closer to to nature, and nature is space, is everything. But uh, it became a very fashionable thing, and uh, that's why I don't, I don't repeat those kind of things, because, uh, I don't know, I feel a little bit that uh, even the word space and all that, they've been so much used, although it's true, but to me it sounds a little bit fashionable, and then I don't, I don't want to produce things like that. Uh, which is wrong, maybe I should, but I have many, many tapes. I mean, I do, I do, I write music every day. But you see, it's always a fight between uh, the creation and and the business. Always, and I try desperately to keep a balance. This is actually the only fight I have. Is this? how to survive between what I'm doing and what I'm, re I'm releasing. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I, do you think you're releasing the things that are, are the most commercially viable? I don't know. Is that what you're trying to do? I don't know. Even Charles could be a mistake. Well, it hasn't been commercially well, it's a not, mistake. It doesn't mean because it's the number one. Of course, of course it's uh, very important and of course uh, me, millions of people, they love it. But again, if you see it in the long run, because we, we tend to see things in the moment, because everybody's happy and all that, but if you see it in a, in a, in a century's time, I don't know. It is different in certain regards from previous things you've done, in terms of, of lushness, I would say, and, and sweetness. Yeah. I mean, I always do different things, and if you go through my tapes, you, you, you can't believe how different things I have. But as I say again, you can't release all those albums. And although I'm, I'm really, I can say that I'm quite free uh, today, uh, I always have to fight with, with all this big system around. It's not so easy. 
I mean, the best way is to do not to to get involved at all, and to stay in my house and record and and keep the tapes for me. But on the other hand, when I feel great with a piece of music, I would like you to feel great as well. And in order to share it with you, I have to go through this business, and I have to to become number one. And this is another price to pay for this. It's not really easy at all. But I mean, I'm quite glad. <laughs> when you say you write, when you write music, do you actually write your music out? What do you mean? Write? Mm -hmm. No, no, I never write music. I don't know how to write and read, actually. Uh -huh. Do you compose it at the keyboard? Yeah. Do you compose on synthesizers now, or do you...? Whatever, whatever is, uh, is needed. And always is the first take I do. I mean, it's a question of concentration, and I play. When you say first take, I mean, you do lots of overdubbing. Yeah, not, not a lot, not a lot, because uh, I don't play one synthesizer at a time. Mm -hmm. I play three or four. So immediately you have a spectrum of sound quite important. And then if I need some more things, uh, I can overdub. But I never do ten overdubs and things like that, two or three. And then, you know, if you do more than that, then, then, then everything becomes so dull. Because you can have a great and full sound with few things. It's the position and how you put them. A symphony orchestra, I mean, with three or four voices, you can have a total incredible sound. Now, you don't need, uh, I don't know, 20 voices, different voices, parallel to create a big sound. You create a very thin sound like that because you cancel things in order to, to, to leave the room to, to each family of frequencies to grow and exist. You have to, to be as simple as possible. I mean, that basic laws, I mean, it's not my conception. This is how nature, nature, uh, um, that uh, needs. I mean, it's, it is the basic nature law. What's it like for you now that you've you've done so many solo recordings and in the true sense of the word? How, what's it like now to uh, to perform with uh, with other people to collaborate? You've done things with John Anderson. Mm -hmm. uh, you did an album a year or two ago with Irene Pappas, mm -hmm. Odes. And uh, you've done some things with Demis Roussos. What is the question? Uh, what What's it like now to, to collaborate with, with other people? Depends. This is another thing that's completely spontaneous again. I, I can't say uh, I'm going to do that next year. If it happens, it happens. Uh, simply because I feel that uh, I'm compatible to somebody else and if it's the right moment, then we do something. But not for commercial interest. It's the worst thing to do, to have two musicians that are not compatible and play together for money. Oh, you produce a monster, really, in a negative sense. <laughs> your John Anderson albums are certainly much different than your own work. Yeah. And this is actually incredible, because when he does things himself is completely different. When we are together, we are compatible. But I've never been compatible with Yes's music. I can't see myself 
part of the S group, impossible. But with John, somehow, when we play together, we have a compatible uh, way. That's why we, we did two albums together. And we never, when we did the first one, we never thought it's going to be released. We just start playing. When you do your um, your film music, do you intend for that music to be able to stand on its own right, or do you make the music subservient to the film? And if it stands on its own right, it does. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, when I do film music, uh, the the main the priority is to to fit to serve the, the film, to be the most uh, compatible part with the film. Now, if that can stand without the film, that's okay. As with Chariots, for example. But if not, it doesn't matter. But the main thing is to, to go with the film. We were all very surprised. I guess it was it's two years ago now. We're sitting at home watching TV in the United States, and this Mercury Lynx commercial comes on. <laughs> <laughs> and we say, hey, we know that music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I mean, in Europe, you can imagine. I mean, um, it's, it's unbelievable. All my albums, oh, everybody uses that in every country. It's embarrassing, actually. Is it? Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's not one moment you put radio, TV, or whatever, and you, but thank God they, 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 they don't mention my name. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, can you imagine this? We have a radio station that's been playing your music for for years, mm -hmm. you know, since Aphrodite's child, and it's a non-commercial radio station. We do on-the-air fundraising, mm. so every year, whenever we do it, you know, especially the last couple of years, we say, "Look, you know, commercial stations aren't playing this music anymore. Yeah. The only time you can hear Vangelis is on com Mercury Links." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I mean, that you arrange those deals, so your management arranges those deals, right? I mean, yeah. they're using the music with your permission. Yeah, yeah, then. exactly, yeah. It seems on some of the the Lynx ones, especially in the last year, that they are remixes. They're different versions. Yeah, they're different they versions. They are different versions. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, I mean, it's it's really unbelievable. Unbelievable. Everywhere, every country. <laughs> Well, I think that your music has a very, it elicits a really strong visual response. Possibly. I mean, everybody says that, that, uh, yes, I mean, my music has very strong visual. But maybe I'm the only person that when I compose, I never see anything. <laughs> you don't see, me, you don't see your music visually? Nothing at all. Never. Colors? Nothing. Even not colors. What I, I feel things, I feel different waves. Yeah, I feel more in in terms of waves, uh, electricity, magnetism, mass, things like that, but not in 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 visual. I can see after, I can visualize after, but not the moment that I, I compose at all. But I'm very aware. Uh, I feel as much as somebody can see things, but I don't see. It's completely blind. Sometimes it's, it's deaf as well. I mean, I don't, I don't hear. I feel. It's, it's, it's very difficult to explain. Do you experience your music on a physical level? Oh yes, it was since I was a child. 
Oh yes, and I'm, that's why I'm convinced more and more and more. Not in an intellectual way, but I mean, I have examples of many, many things. Do you, do you compose music that maybe always affects you in a positive light? Mm. Oh yes, you... certainly. Oh yes. I never use drugs and things like that. I always, when I have a problem, I have special pieces of music that I compose for this and, you know, that's the, the problem is over. Do you listen to this music too yes, to get that, or do you of play the music? I have, I have I have my personal collection of of cassettes, medical things that I can use for you know to cure certain things. Or if a friend of mine feels something, then I can I know which music I can play, and I had the results, fantastic results. But of course, you can't release those kind of things. It's not the same way you can listen to that music. It's different. People are releasing music for those purposes. I know, I know, I know. It's a big business around there, but I mean, I don't do it for that, and and I don't. Um, I don't know. Uh, see, if if the music not the right, it could be damaging. I believe that we live in in a a very polluted uh, uh, era of music today. But nobody seems to talk about music pollution, sound pollution. Of course, everybody talks about the pollution we know. But especially big cities that are polluted with, with sound and, and, and uh, fake music. And uh, that's really dangerous to me and to a lot of people, but maybe they don't they realize that and why. What do you listen to? Uh, to everything. To sound. To this. So, whatever. But what musicians are creating music that you enjoy hearing these days? I tell you, I mean, where, whatever I listen, whatever I enjoy, which is maybe I can enjoy classical music or ethnic music or whatever, but instantly, when I put my hands in the keyboard, or, or when I feel a little bit, uh, you know, um, a little bit down or whatever, I don't know, immediately it's a kind of, maybe because of the, the ethnic approach. I mean, I play blues and things like that. I love that. And uh, I always... You see, what I, you can like 10 or 20 different things, but there are things that they are, I don't know, not things that I prefer, that they make more practical sense. And I go for very, very simple music. Blues is very simple. Like uh, Indian music is very simple. Arabic music is very simple. Uh, Greek music is very simple. You have... With Oriental music, you have a kind of abstraction. And blues is an abstraction as well. It's great, really. Blues is unbelievable what you can do with the blues. And of course, mainly sound and rhythm. I mean, rhythm is unbelievable. When you have a headache, a rhythm could be fantastic. I, the contrary, I mean, what the people think that, I mean, rhythm is noise, <laughs> is, a, is a, one of the best acupuncture points. <laughs> With the rhythm, if the rhythm, if the rhythm is wrong, then you you are in trouble <laughs> for what you have. Uh-huh. Are there any electronic artists that you listen to, or maybe you were influenced by early on when you were? No, not much. 
I'm into into nature really. I I, I listen a lot of natural sounds and things like that. Which to me, I mean, when you, you when when you listen to to a thunder, or we say this is a natural sound. I mean, come on, it's the same thing with the synthesizers. This exactly the same. Wind, the air. I mean, the the water, everything. The synthesizers the same as these sounds. Of course. Yeah. It's the same thing. Electricity. Energy. <laughs> it's amazing. Really amazing. I think I, I'm quite lucky to, to live in that, that century that I can really enjoy all those instruments. What do you have been doing if you were brought up in a time when this technology wasn't available to you, or in a place where this technology wasn't available to you? Uh, 300 years ago, or 400 years ago, uh, maybe be burned <laughs> by the, you know, they used to burn people at that time. <laughs> maybe 200 years ago, maybe trying to do the impossible with the existing instruments. I don't know. I don't know. I, maybe not. Who knows? You've created most of your music, I guess, in three countries: Greece, France, and and United and England, Kingdom. Yes, yes. How do you feel that those each of those places has uh, influenced you at, at particular times? Uh, you see, the most important period of your of uh, men's uh, when I say men's person life, I think is the childhood, which is maybe the ten first years. Uh, your brain is empty of any information, and then you you have the basic strong ones, and then you carry that all your life. And then this is uh, maybe the most important information to be able to create later, if you want to create, if you feel creative. Uh, I think it doesn't matter where you are. As long as you have the the necessary equipment, if you are a musician, your instruments, if you are a painter, your studio, whatever, if you are a writer, a piece of paper. But um, of course, the, maybe the most practical place is until now is is London. Practical. Yeah. Why is that? I don't know because uh, it's more organized for the for that kind. I mean, it was easy for me to build my studio here and then to build my studio in France. And the way of life is easier, maybe because the weather is not so good, so <laughs> so you need to create something more. Because more you, I mean, if you go to, to countries when you have sunshine, you lie on the beach, and so you do nothing, which is quite lovely, why you have to do something. But maybe it's so grey and dull here. Then you have to create a, a different uh, cutting point. <laughs> so you feel your music might be a reaction to, to the environment rather than a... Always a reaction, yes. No, I've never been to the United States. Maybe maybe it's better there. I don't know. Giannis was mentioning you might be going to New York. Mm. Possibly, yeah. I guess if you react to New York, your music will become much... Even even more melodic than it is now to react again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, no, no. I, I don't know. I don't know. 
maybe I might be able to play a little bit of Cuban music because I, I love that. I used to play a lot before all the Cuban, you know, percussions and things like that. And in New York, there are many fine musicians there. In in England, you can't find that, and in France, no way. That's another unbelievable way uh, language of music. You run out of questions? <laughs> Just about. Oh. Are you Let's bored? Let's talk about something else. <laughs> sure. No, I'm not bored. Time. It's okay. I'm okay. Um, it's, it's real interesting that you would talk about, and I guess this gets back to some of the things that we've been, we've been mentioning, but the fact that you're into the blues so much, which is considered... I never, I, I never done, you see, uh, yeah, I don't have a frustration, but I never done an album with blues, uh -huh. never. Would you want to? Oh, I'd love to, yes, why not? Do you think people would take it seriously? I don't know. I mean, I do whatever I, I feel now, if they take it seriously or not. It's not up to me. I do my best, what I feel. Uh, of course, as people, they put labels, and I hate labels. And of, one of the dangers now, a big risk today, after the huge success of Chariots of Fire, maybe people, they think that my next album is going to be like that. Because the, the biggest success you have with, with, the, with, the, with the record, then you're stuck with it. And this is, I'm really, I'm, I'm so afraid and every time they call me, they say, you are number one here and there, and you have <laughs> platinum there, double platinum there, I mean, whatever, I'm, 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 I'm terrified. Although it's a great pleasure, but at the same time, I feel that I'm stuck with that. Because how am I going to convince those thousands of people that really, say, this is just one moment, and this is just something that I've done during a month's time. So that it's not my life, it's not whatever, hard to say, and it's very difficult to change that. But I mean, all my life I change, and uh, I always uh, I run that, that big risk. And uh, can you imagine, I mean, if I release a blues album tomorrow, or, or an ethnic uh, whatever album, or a kind of totally different thing, what's going to happen? What are they going to say? But I mean, this is what, what is my main problem. I can't produce another chariot. It's impossible. Do you think that electronics might be paving the way for a more universal music, or global music at any rate? It's not only the music. We have to feel universal. And to feel universal, we have to go less and less to, to, to our everyday uh, points of reference, beliefs and things like that. And this question of frontiers. We English, we French, we Greeks, we Americans, we... I mean, all that is okay. But at the same time, we are Earth, we are, we are one. And it's very difficult, of course, because through all the centuries, uh, each country has its own, its own ways of beliefs and ways of life and all that. But uh, somehow, I think every human being is the same, with the same basic needs. Music is a very basic, and applies to, to the most basic things, which is life, death, love, hate, um, hate, I mean, I don't know, hate. 
possibly, but I mean, it's not so important. And um, also in terms of biology, because biologically we are exactly the same. Maybe little differences, but we are the same. So uh, I believe in universal music a it's, lot. It seems like the synthesizer can possibly be the tool or a vehicle for mm. breaking down the barriers between. It is, and actually, this is a, I think good, good question. I don't know if I can I can answer properly, but what proves maybe that until now the conventional instruments what they've done, they help to to uh, the human being to develop his own language and dialect. So if I speak to you now in Chinese or in Greek, you won't understand anything, and I can say the most incredible and beautiful thing to you and uh, but you won't be able to understand now that's why sometimes when you have a great piece of music an Indian piece of music uh, you see that people they're not able to receive that because it's a very um, although it's, it's, a, it's an incredible man immense piece uh, some somehow because uh, some people that don't speak that language, then the, they can't understand because it's, it's in a process of dialect. But with synthesizers, you can beyond, you can go beyond this. Then we can keep the roots of something, and then you don't have to apply the precise language. Now I don't know if I'm, what I'm saying is it's it's. I make it clear, it's very difficult for me. But maybe this is a, the, the dif difference between the conventional instruments and the synthesizers. I, I have an example, I've done this album with Irene Pappas, with, uh, with Greek, very old traditional ethnic music. And this music until two years ago, everybody used to play with conventional instruments, and it's like a museum piece. And because of this, this music dies every day. No, now I play that music that I learned when I was two, three, four, I don't know, as, as long as I remember, and I played my way. And it was a great challenge because uh, two things could happen. Oh, nobody, I mean, everybody could say, oh, this is rubbish and uh, it's not the way. Oh, everybody could love it. Now what happened is this album is has been the most successful album and is one now still now one of the most successful albums in Greece. And it's totally different. I mean, it's nothing to do with the conventional way. The the songs are the, exactly the same. Uh, the feel is exactly the same, but the language uh, not the language, the the way of expression is different. And uh, this album has been released in France is quite successful there. It's not, you can't say that it's ethnic music anymore. Uh, a lot of American people, they listen to this album and they love it. And you play another one, I mean the same music, the same songs, with the conventional instruments, nothing happened at all. So why? See, this is another why, which proves maybe with the synthesizers that bring much more universal way of expression. 
I think this album is a very, very good example. I think China is probably a good example of that too. As well, yes. More obvious, maybe. I don't try to be a, a museum uh, interpreter, you know. I mean, it's good to have things like uh, how they used to do that time and all that, but I mean, we live today. That's why we dress in different way that the, the, they used to dress. I mean, I don't wear the things that <laughs> they used to wear 3,000 years ago in Greece. <laughs> Do you, would you like to think that the music you're making is going to be listened to many years down the road? Do you think you're making classical music right now? Let me put it that way. I don't know. I don't really know. What I know is that if my music is, is uh, when I, if I do timeless music, then there's no reason why this music won't be there maybe a thousand years later. But if I do music of today, then it's going to stay today. What do you think you're doing? I don't know. Really, I don't know. And I can't know. It's not my, my business to know. Because if I try to, to know those things, then I lose the real point of creations. And when you create something, you don't know. You just do it. To know something, you use your intellect, you decide, so you put the decision before the creation. And then you destroy the creation. So it's impossible for me to know what I'm doing. That's this question. <laughs> Do you think? Um, well, some people go with creating music of the time. I mean, they consciously make hit records are music of the time, for the most part. I did that as well. Right, and that is another job. And you did that at the time, of course. But now and you've changed I, your I approach. I can do it now, and I do it. And I had a lot of pressure from the record companies, because I I proved that long time ago, and many times. Not one time, but many times. So always I have this in terrible pressure of, from the record companies to produce a hit. And this is a different job altogether. It's possible to do it, there's nothing wrong. And I don't, I don't feel bad about that. But I'm not interested. And, you know, once the record companies know that you can do something like that, they always push you. A lot of people think that the synthesizer is still a pretty mystical instrument. Pretty mystical. Very mystical. Very mystical. I like this. Who said that? Um, well, a lot of people think it is because they don't, they don't really understand it. You know, the guitar isn't mystical to most people because everyone's seen a guitar and almost everyone has plucked it at least a few times. They don't maybe understand it logically, but as I say, logic, it's not very important, isn't it? Do you think that even after you understand it, these things still have a bit of a mystique for you? Sorry? I... Do you think that even once you understand all these, all these instruments, that they still have a mystique for you? Of course, of course. I mean, you, you can understand something, you have different ways to understand things. But as I said before, we seem to always use logic to understand in certain way 
And if we can't express what we understand, we think that we don't understand it. But as long as you feel something, it doesn't matter if we can put it in words. And always words fail when you want to, to explain music. It's impossible. Music is a different thing. You can't explain by words. What is music? Like you can explain, you can teach somebody how to play jazz. It's impossible. Not only jazz, I mean, different kinds of, of music. But jazz, I mean, it's... Well, you can learn, learn the vocabulary of jazz. No, I mean, then, then you, you become... I think your record player is better than you, or a tape recorder, because it does the job better. You can't learn a feeling. You can't learn it like a language? Like you can't learn how to love. I mean, you love or you don't love. You, you, you can't learn how. It's like making love. You can't do that by appointment and, and say that we're going to do this or this and this and that. But can learn through experience, though. So. No, you get experience. I mean, that's you. You become more wise, maybe. And, and but I think you can't really. Yes, you learn for yourself. But I don't think those things they can. You can't teach them. It's impossible. It's, it's really impossible. Did you listen to? Uh... I asked you this question a different way earlier, but did you listen to early electronic artists, Babbitt, Sabotnik, uh, Verez? Mm, I listened to some. I think that, that, that to me, uh, this is uh, a little bit too intellectual. And although electronic music seems to be universal, somehow, uh, that kind of music became a kind of intellectual attempt and nobody understands what's going on. So it's a little bit odd to me. Never this music became popular. Not because it's too early. It's, I don't think now it's early for anything anymore. Uh, but... I don't know. Do you feel that you're in some kind of vanguard with this with this music and this technology? As I say, those, those, those questions is not for me to answer. I can't answer those questions. I can't say, I don't do a job to know my position. I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, I can't uh, dictate. Uh, no, 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 the, how high is that? I can't see where is my position. Now, if as an interviewer, or as, a, as a critic or whatever, you can say, oh, Vangelis does that or this and this, then it's going to be only your opinion again. But I don't think it's up to me to answer that, really. So you don't feel in the midst of uh, any sort of movement, you feel you're pretty much an isolated creator? I feel that, uh, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a kind of why between the nature and a record player. Well, on a more practical level, Murphy's Law says that if something can go wrong, it will. It seems like you have a lot of things here that could go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. What else? I don't know. 
Mm. Are all these your gold records what? on the wall here? Yeah. Silver, mm. platinum. Are these for almost all UK records, pretty much? Yes, that's Europe. So how do you account for the fact that you're you're really relatively popular over here, mm -hmm. and until Chariots of Fire, mm -hmm. you're relatively unknown in the United States. Mm -hmm. You have any reason for accounting for that? I never been there. I never tried to do anything there. And maybe because, you know, I don't know. It's that that that, that that's life. I don't know why. I could really try to go there and to become popular and to do whatever is necessary, but never did it. And because, as I said, it's not my job to become popular. And it's, when you want to become popular, it's a completely different approach. Then you, you use all your energy to other things. And to me, all those things are irrelevant. I'm not... Uh, I mean, I'm quite pleased that I'm quite known and people like my music. But I'm quite pleased that I'd really, uh, I didn't spend energy for this, and I spent energy to do the music. And this is what always I'm going to do, and this is what really what I tend to do. I can't spend my time doing publicity. I think if you do a piece of music, which valid and people likes it, then this musical music can can do his his job. But it's not up to me because I mean, if if I concentrate going around and promote my work, then I don't have time to do my work. So my work is more important, and then maybe people they're going to be much more pleased if I do something that really I believe in. I love is then to go around and do something that is not really me. Vangelis, now gone, leaving the planet in early 2022. He was kind of the last of the pre-computer generation of electronic musicians. I've got a list of 10 essential Vangelis albums that I will have linked in the posting for this podcast at echoes.org. That's echoes, E-C-H-O-E-S, .org, O-R-G. I'm John DiLiberto. This has been the Echoes Podcast from PRX. See you next week, tonight on the radio somewhere in the country, or at Echoes Online right now or whenever you want.